Okay, let me begin uh, the sermon uh, by just posing a question for all of you uh, today, this morning. Friends, what is your spiritual temperature uh, today? What about your spiritual temperature this morning? Whether you are new to London City Presbyterian Church, maybe a first time here, or whether... Uh, you have been here for so long that you are almost part of the furniture. If we had a barometer, thermometer of your heart before the Lord God of heaven and earth this morning, what would that read? Are you excited to be here this morning? And is that excitement revolving around the Lord Jesus Christ? Or is it true of you that this morning thoughts of God... And thoughts of the Lord Jesus Christ are actually as far as possible from your mind. So what is your spiritual temperature today? Well, as I've just said, this morning we're going to continue in this sermon series, the Old Testament book of Malachi. And uh, I'm excited about that. I'll tell you why. I think this portion of scripture is relevant to us. You see, what God does in this portion of scripture is he exposes the heart of his people. He exposes a deficient view that these people he is speaking to have of him and his glory. A deficient view. And do you know why God does that? He does it to prompt these people to more wholehearted and sincere worship of his holy name. That, I think, is relevant uh, to us in here. And this is how we're going to approach this portion of scripture. We're going to look at it in three stages. So there's going to be three headings to this Malachi 1, 6 to 14. And the headings, for the sake of simplicity, are very short. They're very short. So the first one is this. What do we see in this portion of scripture? We see the problem. The problem. So you ready, shall we? Go for this. Let's begin, shall we, in a sense? Okay. Right. If you're joining us for the first time, it's probably worth hearing what we always say, that LCPC. We always say that if we're going to understand a portion of scripture like this in the Bible, that the context is everything. The context is key. Just, just see what I mean. If we're going to get to grips with an Old Testament section of scripture, we need to know something about the background, the setting, what's happening here. Okay? Now, if ever that's true, it's true in Malachi. So, here's the question I'm I'm laying before you. Where are we when we're in Malachi chapter 1? Well, believe it or not, in Malachi chapter 1, we just now are in the middle of the 5th century BC. Okay? And the people of Israel have just recently returned from an awful experience where they have been in captivity... An exile in a foreign land. And these people have come into, they've come back home into Judah. And what have they found? But their city, Jerusalem, is in ruins. And their temple, which was everything to these people, their temple lies in rubble on the ground. Now, if you were here last week, and believe it or not, some of you were here uh, last week, do you remember what the prevailing attitude of the people was at this point in Scripture? Do you remember what we said? Like, this is about 20 or 30 years later, and these people are, they're in pieces, and they are entirely 
disillusioned with God. Because do you know what the people have done? They've rebuilt the temple. And they've expected some sort of spiritual revival. And although God has blessed them, the political, the material, the spiritual revitalization of Israel that they've expected to see, it's nowhere to be found. And that's not all. Again, I say to you, if you were here last week, what was it that God said to those people? Do you remember, friends? They're disillusioned and they're skeptical. And God says in the previous section, he looks to his people and he says through Malachi, I love you. To stir their hearts, to move them in their disillusionment. He says, I have loved you. I love you. A declaration, which I find almost unbelievable, a declaration that the people have dismissed out of hand. So you with me? We see what's going on disillusionment with the people, skeptical that God loves them at all. So what have we got here? I'll tell you what, let's use poor Jack, our piano player, as an illustration here. He's shaking his head at his minister at the moment. But it's almost as though Jack, in this section, that he had been playing some lovely sort of arpeggios, beautiful, soft arpeggios in a major key, and then suddenly bangs out some power chords in a minor key. Because from this lovely declaration of his affection and love, do you know what God does now from verse 6 onward in that section that Johnny read? He issues a rebuke. God chastises his people in that section. I think you get a flavor for it if you would just look with me to verse 6. So if you've got your Bible, just have a look at verse 6. Now what does God say? So he looks to his people and he says to Malachi, A son, now read the words carefully, A son honors his father, and a servant fears honors his master. I wonder, I mean, do you see what's going on there? Like God's beginning there in a very kind of straightforward or unconventional, uncontroversial way rather. So that you'll gain a hearing. Because you've got to understand this. What God says there would have been met with complete acceptance in Israel. And I want the boys in the congregation to listen to their minister for a moment. So the young boys, so Colin and Alan and the Bittner boys. And so John, I hope you're listening at the back there. You see, in the ancient world, boys, even more than loving your dads, Do you know what was expected in the ancient world? Is that you would respect your fathers. Are you listening, Colin? Oh, yes, good. It's expected in the ancient world that you would respect your father, respect your dad. Unless the rest of us think that we're going to get off lightly here. The same was true of us, you know. The same was true of employees and servants. I don't know what your relationship is like with your employer at the moment. For some of you, it may be a little bit strange. See, in the ancient world, the thing you must do, the thing you had to do, was respect your master. You had to respect your boss. So do you see the accusation that God is making towards his people? He's saying, I am your father. He's saying to Israel, I am your master, where is my respect? 
That the Lord's complaint in Malachi chapter 1 is that the people are not giving him the Lord of heaven and earth due awe and due reverence. So I hope you see that we are in a sense before an angry God in Malachi chapter 1. But what he does here is get a little bit more specific and a little bit more particular. I remember um, being in a church service a good number of years ago. It was when I was training uh, to be a minister. So a good number of years ago, and I'm sitting in a church in Edinburgh. And uh, I wasn't doing this bit. I was where you are. I was listening to the minister preach. And uh, the minister did what ministers sometimes often do, I suppose. And he narrowed down the application in the sermon. So he said this, you can imagine what it was like for me. He said to the congregation, he said, this particular portion of scripture isn't just relevant for you all. I suppose it's particularly relevant for any who might be studying for the ministry. And at that point I kind of sat up and I was going on here. He's, he's, he's speaking to me. The minister narrowed down the application. And if you paid attention to Johnny when he was reading God's word there, maybe you noticed that that is exactly what God does here. Do you see it? Who does he particularly address this complaint to in verse 6? He says this is a problem throughout the people of Israel, but who does he say he addresses? Actually, the priests. He addresses the spiritual leadership. And look what the accusation is. He says they are despising his name. I wonder if you see the big picture here. Like from top down, throughout the people of Israel, they are dishonoring their God. You have the spiritual leadership. Like from the priests, all the way through the people. And they are treating God with utter disdain. There is no interest, there is no reverence. Do you you see it in its context? In the previous section, what did the people think the problem was? That God didn't love them. What does God say to them? No, the problem is, you don't love me. You've lost sight of who I am and what I have done for you. And you understand, I hope, if nothing else, God is not happy here. God is displeased. Friends, allow me to speak to you if you are visiting our church this morning. If you're here for Lily's baptism, and if perhaps it's the case that you've never been a church like this before. You know what I'd love you to appreciate is our view of the Bible. We believe as a Reformed Presbyterian church that the Bible is God's word. We believe that. We believe that it is a living and life-changing book. And do you know there's something that the older Christians and the more mature Christians in here would love you to to hear, I think, and realize. Do you know what? Sometimes this book seems almost scarily relevant. Isn't that right if you're an older saint, if you've been a Christian for a long time? We believe that the Bible is always relevant. But we believe that sometimes it's almost like the ink is still wet on the page. It's almost as though God has just finished writing this for our particular attention just a few moments ago. Scarily relevant. And I wonder this. I wonder if that is the case with Malachi chapter 1. See, if you're new to the church, friend, what is your attitude to your creator and your God? 
I mean, is it true that your attitude is the same as the people of Israel here? And your attitude to God is just one of disdain or just sheer disinterest in God? What about the congregation here? Have we grown cold toward our God? Is the same here true of us? Have we lost sight of of who God is and what he is. Have we lost sight of the fact that we too have recently been freed from exile and the captivity of our chains by the Lord Jesus Christ? Have we grown cold? Well, friends, I'm sure you see what's happening here. God is speaking to us from this portion of Scripture. And I'm afraid to say he is speaking of his discontent. So God complains. You see it? A lack of honor from the people that he has chosen. We see it. We see it's applicable to us. Okay. Here's a thought as we move on. Here's a thought. Maybe you're sitting in this congregation and you're thinking, "Ah, no, I disagree entirely. Maybe that's what you're thinking just now. Um, Maybe you're sitting at LCPC and thinking that this is not relevant to you. That you're a Christian in here. And you're thinking, well, no, I I am at church. And I love God. This rebuke about half-hearted worship has got nothing to do with me. I love love Jesus. This is for the people sitting next to me and behind me. They definitely need to hear this. But not me. Is that what you're thinking, friend? Do you know what really uh, struck me during the week? That is exactly the way the people of Israel thought here. In Malachi chapter 1, God says, you despise my name. And do you know how the people respond to God? They say, how? Show us proof. We despise your name. No, we don't do that. And they disregard this accusation. So how is it that God responds to these people? But what God does in the remainder of the section, do you know what he does? He almost acts like a divine advocate or a lawyer. I don't know if any of the visitors are solicitors. Don't know what circles you move in, Johnny and Sarah. Don't know if we've got any advocates or lawyers uh, in the congregation. If we do, you will recognize what God does. Because to expose his people's hearts, he lays before them evidence. So we've seen the problem. We have to see the proof. And I would ask you to listen here. What God does is he sets before his people two key pieces of evidence. Okay, and I want us to see them. So wait a minute. How do we know if our hearts are wrong before God? How do you know if you're cold towards God? One, ready for the evidence? That coldness shows in inappropriate sacrifices to God. And I would ask you all to do this. Would you look at verse 7? Like even the parents, if you could help the children. If we all, young and old, are young and not so old. Look at verse 7. So the people are saying, we don't recognize this accusation. It's not true, God. How do we dishonor you? And what does God say? That they dishonor him by offering polluted, what is it? It's polluted what? It's polluted food, is it? And you can see, I think, what's in view. What have the people just done? They've rebuilt the temple. And then they have reinstituted the sacrificial system. And everyone in here knows what that was, don't we? That they would sacrifice goats and animals. They would sprinkle the blood. Why? As a way of symbolically dealing with their 
sin. But wait a second, follow me here. What was the problem? God, in the Old Testament, it said, see when you're sprinkling that blood of the animals, you've got to use certain animals. Like you've got to use, here's the word, unblemished goats and bulls and flawless animals. And you look at verse 8, what do these people do? They use lame animals and they use blind animals. Do you see what they're doing? They're taking the best of their flock. They're keeping it for themselves. Look at it. I looks like a, a nice sheep. I'm going to eat that myself. And they're giving to God what? Giving to God what, what remains, what is left over. That's what they give to God. Now I wonder, if you're a Christian this morning, do you look at me and think, this is not relevant to us at all? Are you still there? Are you thinking, look, this is a New Testament age? And we don't sacrifice goats. It's not like at the baptism part of the service, we're going to get a sheep and kill it and slaughter it. And so you're maybe thinking, this is not relevant to us. But if you're a Christian, do you not remember what your whole life is to be about? Do you remember what Paul says to you in Romans chapter 12? He says, in light of what Christ has done for you, what is your whole body to be, your whole experience what are you to do, you're to present this to God as a living sacrifice, this is relevant to you Christian, this is relevant to your life and do you not see the challenge Christian friend, do you want to know this morning if your heart is cold before God then you must examine your life today is the Lord Jesus Christ the focus of your life Is living for God the ultimate purpose in your existence? Or are you doing what these people do? And are you keeping the best of what you have for yourself? Is that right? You're keeping the best of your time for yourself. And the best of your energy. And the best of your money for yourself. And what do you give to God? You give to God what remains, what is left over. Is that you? Do you not see in that your disdain, your contempt for Almighty God? Don't you recognize it? But then we said, two pieces of evidence. So get this. How do we recognize if our hearts are cold towards God? We recognize it with boredom in worship. Again, I've got to return to you if you've never been at LCPC before. Um, and we are really delighted that you're here. Here at Sport Johnny and, and Sarah. Perhaps you're not used to hearing a sermon. It's hot in here. It's, this guy's a Scottish guy. It's going on a bit at the front here. Well, hopefully by now you see the key to following the sermon. The key to following this is paying close attention to the reading of God's words at the beginning. The sermon should stick closely to the text of God's words. And maybe if you did that, if your ears pricked up when Johnny came to the front and read to you, maybe you noticed something quite strange in this portion of Scripture. Have a look at your Bible. It's quite odd. Do you notice that God repeats his accusation, this accusation that he makes at the beginning, he repeats at the end of this chapter. God repeating himself. Isn't that... Like from verse 6 to 9, he accuses the people. He does the same thing in verse 12 to 14. That's that's odd, isn't it? Why does God... Do you see why God does it? It's so that you will focus on where the two halves differ. And you see that in verse 13. Look at verse 13. God reveals the true heart 
of his priests. And look what they have said. They have said of corporate worship, what a weariness. Isn't that stunning? If you're familiar with scripture, what's happening here? The priests, the Levites, the spiritual leadership are saying, we're born of God. We're bored of the sacrificial system. We're bored of worship. And if anything, isn't that where the rubber hits the road for us in here this morning? I want to pose you another question today. And it's this. How did you approach the worship of the Lord Most High this Sunday morning? See, when you were coming here and you thought, I've got to go to church, was there weariness with that? You know that moment where you wake up? I do this all the time. You wake up in bed and your head's still in the pillow and you think, what day is it? And then when, this morning, there was that realization, it's Sunday. I have to go to church. Was there reluctance there for you? Friend, do you see what that is? Like, don't always blame tiredness. Don't always blame the heat in the room. Don't always blame the preachers. See that that is an indicator of how our hearts truly are before the Lord of God, the Lord of hosts. Are we today, even now, even the last five minutes, are we bored in this room? Are we bored of God? Don't we recognize our disdain? Here God exposes the true heart of his people, and I am sure you would agree with me, it all feels very, very close to home. So we've seen the problem, haven't we? And we've seen the proof. And then we close just with a word on the prophecy. And I'm going to say something strange and weird here, but you're going to have to stick with me, okay? I think this portion of scripture, in some ways, is like cracking open an oyster or a mussel You see it? Because yes, on either side of this section, we have the hard shell of God's rebuke. But you know what happens if we crack open this section of Scripture? Right in the middle of it, right smack bang in the heart of this section of Scripture, we find a pearl. Because yes, look at verse 10, we are told of God's assessment. It's a terrible thing to read in a sense. God Almighty says that he would rather the temple be shut, shut, than for this half-hearted worship to continue. But you need to look at verse 11. This is the pearl. This is the beautiful thing. God then speaks of a time where his name will be great. Where? Amongst the nations. Read on a time when? Look at it. Incense. Praise will be offered. Where? In? Where is it? Every place. Uh, Do you see... Friends, how shocking that would have been to these people who are listening to Malachi. Because what do we know? They've rebuilt the temple. And the temple was everything to them. It was the center of life, religious life. And what is this incense? One day is going to be offered in every place, not in the temple. And you can almost hear the people of Israel and the crying out to God. Malachi, what's this mean? Worship in every place? I think you get a glorious clue as to what God is speaking about in that opening phrase of the verse. Look at it. You may have thought at the beginning of verse 11 this was a throwaway phrase. But look what he says. God says, From the rising of the sun to its setting, my name shall be great. 
If you get anything, get this. That that phrase is most often used throughout Scripture in messianic portions of Scripture. Do you see what I am saying to you? That there, the pearl in the heart of this portion of Scripture, God is promising a day to come. And God is prophesying that one day this half-hearted worship of his people that we see here, it will come to nothing and it will be in the past. And God is promising that he is going to send a saviour from sin. And what will that saviour do? God promises here. He is going to enable even Gentiles, even the nations, to open up in full and delightful worship of his holy name. And if you are a Christian this morning... What is it you know? You know that right now, that day that God prophesies, it's come. It has come that day in the advent of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because what did we read in the first reading? What does Jesus say to the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4? Did you notice it? He says to her, the day is coming. Well, we're not going to worship on a mountain. We're not going to worship in Jerusalem. He says the day's coming and is now here when true worshippers will worship God in spirit and in truth. Do you hear the good news, friend? The Lord Jesus Christ has enabled people to worship God in any time, in any place. And you ask me, how is that possible? Well, any Christian in here this morning would tell you the answer to that. What has Jesus done, Christian friend? He has done what none of us in this room are able to do because of our sin and the defect of our nature. The Lord Jesus Christ has offered a sacrifice that is pleasing to Almighty God. And what's that sacrifice? Did the Lord Jesus Christ offer a bull or a bird or a goat? I ask you, what do you see when you look at the cross of Calvary that the Lord Jesus Christ has offered an unblemished, sinless, perfect sacrifice, the sacrifice of himself? Friends, the reason that the Christian church makes so much of the cross of the Lord Jesus is that there we see the ultimate sacrifice For God's people's sin. So if you're a Christian in here. And you're struggling for joy. You're struggling to worship the Lord Jesus Christ this morning with with delight. Surely you see what you must do. You must look again to the cross of Calvary. You must linger and meditate on that. And what's been done for you. But if you are not a Christian and you're here for the baptism or passing through London, hear this, if nothing else today. It is through Christ Jesus alone that your praise and your worship will ever be acceptable to God. Please hear this. Outside of the Lord Jesus Christ, we stand eternally to face the displeasure of Almighty God. If there is a message for you this morning... It's this, you need Jesus. You need Jesus. And I hope with all my heart you recognize who he is from Malachi chapter 1. Who is Jesus? He is the servant. 
who respects with all things his master. Who is Jesus? What do you see at Golgotha? He is the son who honors his father. He is the one who has enabled us this morning to worship the Lord God of heaven and earth in the way that our creator deserves to be worshipped. May it be that this morning the Lord Jesus Christ is the focus of our rejuvenated praise. Let's bow, let's pray. Gracious Father, when we read Malachi chapter 1, our hearts fall before you in contrition and repentance of our sin. Uh, We see, Lord God, in this section of Scripture, how cold and redundant so much of our worship of your holy name is. But we also thank you, Lord God, that we see here a reminder of what you have done. That through repentance and faith in Christ, by being joined by faith to Jesus, our worship is delightful to you. So we praise you, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.